It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad y'all are here. Uh, it's good to see some familiar faces and some new faces, at least new to me. Uh, may not be uh, new to y'all, but they're at least new to me, so it is good to see you. Uh, I'd invite you this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I know that uh, in the Sunday school, but Bob is uh, slowly but surely working his way through uh, 1 Corinthians, and uh, at some point, uh, before the Lord returns, he'll get to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and uh, he'll probably do a better job at it than I'm fixing to try to do, uh, what we're going to read here and look at this morning. Uh, very familiar uh, verses to us, and most of us, I'm sure, can uh, quote uh, some of these verses. If you've been in church any length of time or around uh, the Word of God at all, then you're familiar with these verses, but as I was praying and trying to seek some direction for the service this morning, just couldn't couldn't get away from it, so we're going to go with it and trust God to uh, speak to us. I'd invite you, if you would, stand with me uh, as we uh, read the Word of God. I don't know uh, what you're accustomed to. If you're able and you'd like to, you're welcome to stand. If not, that's okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we begin in verse number 1. Uh, Paul the Apostle here, uh, writing to the church of Corinth, says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve, and and after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that he was seen of James and then of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one, excuse me, as of one born out of due time. For I am least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Let's pray, and then you can be seated. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day, your goodness, grace, and mercy. Uh, Lord, thank you for the word of God and the truth contained in it. And, Lord, I ask you as we look at these verses this morning, God, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us, everyone, ears to hear and a heart to receive the truth. God, I pray you'd forgive me where I fail you, Lord, through with your spirit. Uh, use me as your mouthpiece, Lord. I pray I'd say everything I need to say and nothing that I don't. Uh, Lord, I ask you that I wouldn't uh, preach for my own namesake or my own glory, but that the Lord Jesus Christ would receive all the glory that he's worthy of. Lord, I ask you uh, that you'd be with Brother Joseph and his family as their way. Bless them. Lord, bless the church here in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you uh, for standing with me. This morning, I want to deal with this thought. I really have got two titles, so you can pick one, I guess. I want to deal with this thought, uh, God's Good News or the Glorious Gospel. The Glorious Gospel. This uh, chapter before us is uh, very familiar to us. and uh, If you're familiar with uh, the writings of the Apostle Paul, the 
You know that he's uh, the one that's penned these words. He's writing to uh, what we would know uh, as the church of Corinth. And as you make your way uh, through these first 15 chapters, you're going to find that uh, the church of Corinth is, uh, they're, uh, they're messed up. I don't know how else to say it to you. They're just in a mess. I mean, they've got uh, problems with division. They've got problems with doctrine. Uh, they've got people living in uh, immoral, illicit sin. Uh, they've got uh, issues with the Lord's Supper in chapter 11. Uh, they've got people that are coming in and uh, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Uh, they've got come, people coming in and uh, they're going to town on the on the unleavened bread and eating it like a meal, which makes no sense to me because unleavened bread is nasty. So I ain't got a clue <laughs> what in the world those people are doing. Uh, but they're, uh, that's what's going on here. And as you come into chapter number uh, 12, 13, and 14, uh, we're all familiar with those chapters as the uh, spiritual gift chapters, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, writes in chapter 12 and he basically lists out uh, all of the spiritual gifts and uh, things like that. Uh, and then in chapter 13, it's that great love chapter that he says that he, if he uh, gave his uh, possessions to the poor, if he had the tongues of angels and all of that stuff, uh, that, and he doesn't do any of it with, without love, without charity, uh, that he's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And then in chapter 14, uh, the chapter that precedes this one, uh, he writes to them uh, still about spiritual gifts, but he changes his focus and he says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing of course, that uh, you're worried about all these other gifts, you're worried about the tongues gifts and the signs gifts and all of this stuff, when really uh, the more important gift is prophecy. Now, don't let the word prophecy scare you. In a very simple definition, the word prophecy there just means to proclaim. And Paul says the greater gift is prophecy, to proclaim. The word of God. What does this have to do with 1 Corinthians chapter 15? The very first word, moreover, in the King James, ties us to back to what Paul has said, just said in chapter 14. And he's writing to them and telling them that they must be a people that are busy about preaching. Preaching what? Well, he tells us in chapter 15, the gospel. He says, I declared unto you that which I received. He says in verse number three, for I delivered unto you first of all. The word first is the Greek word protos. It carries the idea of being first. That was really hard and difficult, wasn't it? First means first. That was hard. I had to do a lot of studying to figure that out. Carries the idea of being the most chief important thing. He says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he resurrected the third day according to the scripture. This is the gospel. Now, I know we are living in a day of many gospels, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'll give you the definition now and give it to you again and probably give it to you two or three more times probably, but it'll be all right, won't it? Uh, the word gospel literally means good news. 
good tidings, gladness. We live in a day of uh, the health and wealth, prosperity gospel that Jesus really is nothing more uh, than somebody that can uh, fulfill your wildest dreams and give you money and, uh, excuse me, make you healthy and all of this stuff. Uh, that's the day that we live in. We live in a day of a religious, legalistic gospel that says, oh, well, you're saved by grace and you're saved by Jesus, but you got to do uh, A, B, and C, and you got to check off these boxes, and you got to do this, and you got to do that in order to keep yourself saved, in order to gain God's favor. Uh, we live in a day just like that, a day of a really a religious, legalistic gospel, not that much different uh, than the days of the Lord Jesus, where uh, the Pharisees would have said we have the right lineage, we have the right uh, Old Testament understanding and doctrine, uh, but they would add things here and they would add things there to make it something that it never was. We live in a day of a liberty gospel where we're saved and because God's sovereign, I believe God's sovereign by the way, uh, that he does know everything. He does know all of our failures, all of our faults and all of our sins, past, present, future because he's an all wise God. Uh, there is a, a, a liberty gospel that says, well, because God already knows that I'm going to sin and it really don't matter. Can I say this? And I don't want to run a rabbit, but I want to say it, uh, that uh, we as God's people, there ought to be a desire in us to not sin. It ought not be because God's sovereign and he knows everything that it don't really matter the kind of life I live. It's the complete opposite, actually. And again, this gospel that Paul proclaims here is going to tell us that this gospel changes people from the inside out. I'm trying to make the point that this day in Paul's time was a day of many gospels. We live in a day of many gospels, so to speak. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 1, that if any man or angel preach any other gospel than that which we had delivered unto you, let him be accursed. I want to make this very plain this morning. There is but one gospel. And it is the gospel that is clearly defined here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, that it is the uh, death of Christ for our sins that he was buried and that he resurrected the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. Notice he says, I declare it unto you the gospel. Singularity. The single one. There is but one. And it is defined in the word of God as the gospel of God. This wasn't Paul's gospel. This wasn't the apostle's gospel, so to speak. Uh, but this was God's gospel. This was God's message. This was God's declaration. This was God's good news to mankind. And Paul says, I didn't uh, preach to you something that I came up with or that the Baptists came up with or the Presbyterians or the, uh, or the Methodists or whoever or the Reformed Baptists. I, I know the crowd I'm preaching to. This isn't their gospel, but this is God's gospel, God's declaration. Oh, thank God we can look back in history and see men and women, uh, people that were committed to the gospel, that proclaimed the gospel. But can I say it uh, to you this morning, it is bigger than you and it's bigger than me. It's bigger uh, than history. It's bigger than the church of Corinth and it was bigger than the apostle Paul. This gospel that we read uh, here in these verses, it is the gospel of God. This is God declaring uh, good news. 
under. Oh, greater than a Republican in office, greater than cheap gas prices. Thank goodness that the gas prices are going down. Uh, we went to Sam's yesterday and got gas for two fifty nine. That's a whole lot better than four dollars. It still ain't great. It was still better at dollar eighty seven than it was at two fifty. But I'll take two fifty compared to two compared to four dollars. I will. Now maybe y'all got money and you don't worry about it. But two fifty sounds real good in my world. Oh, greater than cheap gas prices. Greater than world peace, so to speak, is this reality that sinners, fallen, depraved, hopeless, and helpless people that are rebels against God, uh, that are uh, have no ability to save themselves, that are within themselves void and empty, that are doing their best uh, to satisfy their longings uh, uh, and can't do it, that they can have peace with their maker, that they can have joy, that they can have uh, a right relationship with God through the death, uh, through the bad and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that's good news. That all of your longings and every desire of your heart can be satisfied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That you don't have to die under the judgment and wrath of God. That heaven really can be your home. That you can have not just eternal life, but abundant life. That's good news, isn't it? Consider this with me this morning. Number one, the gospel defines. The gospel defines. I already gave you the definition for the word gospel. It's the Greek word euangelion. Uh, it literally, again, means good message, good tidings, or uh, good news. Literally, what just a very simple uh, nutshell definition. The uh, the verb form of euangelion. I can't pronounce the verb form because it's harder to say than that word I just said. Uh, but it literally means to declare good news. That was hard. What? It's an action to declare to do something to declare. Good news. This word gospel, if you look throughout the entirety of the New Testament, it shows up 77 times in the New Testament. Littered. The New Testament's littered with the gospel. Jam-packed with good tidings, good news, a good message. We've already said it, but it bears repeating that the gospel in a nutshell is the death of Christ for our sin, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. That's it. Paul here, uh, he doesn't just declare a historically accurate and uh, verified fact. Uh, there's no uh, arguing this morning that Christ lived, died, was buried, and resurrected. Uh, take away uh, the recordings of uh, the Word of God. Uh, history verifies that Christ lived, died, was buried, and resurrected. He doesn't just declare a historical fact, but he declares a spiritual reality. Christ died for our sins. Oh, this wasn't just a man that died, but it was the God-man that died. He didn't just die for some unknown reason or just for the fun of it or the sake of it or that's just how the, uh, the thing turned out. No, he died for our sins. 
I'll be very plain with you this morning. The gospel teaches us that we have sinned. That every one of us uh, that are born of a woman is, according to Job, is a few days and full of trouble. That we can conclude, as Paul said, that all men are under sin. That's men, that's women, that's rich, that's poor, that's uh, white, black, uh, Chinese, and everybody in between. Uh, that everybody that is breathing God's air is born a sinner. We understand very plainly that man is a sinner by nature. That is to say that man is a sinner at the very core of who he is. It's who we are. We are sinners. We are sinners this morning. We inherited it from our father. You look at Ruth sitting in that pew over there. I couldn't deny that little girl if I wanted to. She looks just like me. And when she was born, Leah said, I'm not very happy that I carried this baby for nine months. And she comes out looking just like you. I couldn't deny her if I wanted to. She inherited certain traits from me. You look at me outside of the, uh, my dad's got curly hair. So outside of that reality, I look just like him. We look the same. I inherited things from him. We inherited our sin nature from our great, 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 a lot of great grandfather, Adam. We know the account well, but I want to rehearse it to you this morning that God made Adam and he made Eve for one another and he made them perfect without a sin nature. And God said to them, you can have everything in this garden except for the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that you partake of that tree, ye shall surely die. We know it that Adam, uh, that the serpent came and deceived Eve. Uh, that's what's wrong with man. That's what's wrong with women. Why they can't decide uh, where they want to eat is the last time they picked some food, it messed everything up. <laughs> Scripture says that Adam came and that Eve gave unto him and he partook with her. And that their eyes were open. That they beheld good and evil. And it says that they uh, specifically realized that they were naked. Here's the problem. They disobeyed God. God said don't do it. And Adam being uh, the federal, the representative uh, for all of mankind. When he sinned, he plunged all of us. Romans 5, very plain, that by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. It's who we are in our DNA. You ain't got to teach people to sin, it's who they are. But let me say this, you're not just a sinner because of who you are. We don't get to just say, well, this is all Adam's fault. No, we're sinners by choice. When you and I are presented with the option of righteousness and unrighteousness, we choose unrighteousness. We choose wickedness. We choose sin. And I said all of that to say this. The gospel teaches us that all who repent of their sin and believe upon Christ will be saved from the wrath of God to come. You say, preacher, hold on, it ain't that bad. 
I'm not out here killing people. Uh, they're not going to make a Netflix documentary about how crazy I was. Here's the thing. Scriptures are plain that if you've broken one of God's laws, you're guilty as if you've broken them all according to justice. It's not a measure. It's not a measure of me looking at you and you looking at me and saying, well, I do that, but I don't do this. The infinite, holy, perfect, righteous, just God of the universe. His holiness demands perfection of His creation and of mankind. And what the gospel does is it declares very plainly that we can't do it. We can't meet the standard. We can't make ourselves righteous. Religion can't do it. Being a morally good person can't do it. It's not going to happen. never going to happen. It's never been able to happen. It hasn't happened for uh, history's sake. It's not going to happen today and it ain't going to happen tomorrow. A man has never been able to save himself. You can't save yourself. You can't fix your problem and the problem that you've got uh, that's greater than financial problems and greater than societal problems is a sin problem, a heart problem. The greatest problem that I've got is a heart problem and a sin problem and we can't fix it alone. But thank God for the good news. Thank God for the gospel that Jesus came, that he died for our sin, that he paid the debt to God that we owe that he was buried and that he resurrected. Oh, you say, well, why? Why did Jesus die? Explain. For our sins. We're talking about the gospel defined. How does Paul here uh, describe this gospel? That Christ died for our sins. It was the purpose of God. Oh, long before you were ever born, long before your grandma ever came along, long before there was ever an Adam and an Eve that would plunge all of man into sin, there was a God in heaven that had purposed that Christ be the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Long before there was ever a mud ball called this earth, Jesus had already in the mind and heart of God died for you. Peter says it plainly in Acts 2 that it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Oh, there was a conference among the Trinity. And the Trinity said, Jesus going to die for the sins of men. And he did it this morning. Jesus died because we sinned. I want you to understand that. Jesus didn't die for his own sin. He didn't have none. Amen. He's a perfect man. He was the perfect man. He was God of very God and he was man of very man. He didn't sin. And I go a step further and say he couldn't sin. You may disagree with me about that. I know there's some debate among that topic, but I'm convinced of it and I'm sold on it. He ain't changing my mind that Jesus couldn't sin. He didn't have a sin nature. He didn't have a disposition towards sin. God can't sin. And he was God. He was the perfect man. Uh, the Hebrews is very plain that he's holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. So how in the world uh, did that happen? How is sin taken away? Oh, Jesus didn't die for his own sin. He died for our sins. You see, remember however many minutes ago we could, that I said that God's righteousness and perfection demands righteousness of us. See, only God could meet the righteous, righteous demands that he set. 
And so God uh, robed himself in flesh, robed himself in flesh. God became man. He condescended to men of low estate. He took upon him the form of a servant. Uh, the scripture says uh, in Luke in the, in the Gospels that he came uh, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. You best believe when Jesus came that he deserved all of the splendor and all of the worship and all of the glory because he's God. But he came uh, not to receive uh, honor from men, but to die in their place. To die in our place. He was falsely accused. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was bitten. He was spit upon. He was beaten and scourged. Uh, they literally took that cat of nine tails, uh, that whip uh, that had bone and rocks and glass and all of this stuff. <coughs> excuse me, uh, tied into it, and they ripped his body apart. The idea uh, there in the Greek is the idea of, uh, it's the word phalagrum. Uh, we get the English word phalag, like if you were to uh, kill a, uh, you don't kill a fish, you catch a fish and it dies. You catch a fish and you and you clean it and you fillet uh, the skin uh, away uh, from the meat. That's the idea that they uh, strategically, uh, literally ripped the body of the Son of God apart. Uh, why? Because of our sin. The sufferings of Christ wasn't just that he died on a cross. I'm going to get there in just a second. Uh, but that he also suffered at the hands of men. Isaiah tells us very plainly in his prophecy that his visage was marred more than any man. The idea of the word visage is appearance. When you looked at him, uh, it was so uh, distorted and so changed that you couldn't even recognize who he was. They made him carry his cross up Golgotha's hill. They literally nailed the Son of God the cross. The God man, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, hung between heaven and earth uh, and the Bible's very plain uh, uh, that on that cross uh, there was a divine transaction made uh, that Jesus Christ uh, shed his blood uh, that he died uh, in our place uh, that, uh, that God the Father poured out every bit of wrath uh, that I deserved uh, and you deserved uh, upon Jesus uh, that he gave his life as the payment for me and the payment for you this morning. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he, God, hath made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Paul what good news this morning that Jesus died for our sins. Hang on. Christ died. I'm trying to hurry. This is only point one. We may not get very far in it today. Not only that Christ died, but he was buried. Why is that important? Paul here declares that Christ uh, was buried. We know that he was buried uh, in Joseph's tomb. And it, it, it uh, testifies for us that Jesus really died. That was really hard, wasn't it? You don't put somebody that ain't dead in a grave. Jesus got put in a grave because he literally, physically died. 
it is also the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. Oh, put yourself in their shoes. Could you imagine being the, uh, the followers of Jesus for three years? You follow him, he teaches, you learn, you follow. Here he is crucified, laid in the tomb, and for three days it seems like everything's over, that Jesus is gone, uh, that man uh, that you've forsaken uh, your fishing boats for, and your tax collecting booths, uh, and your family, and your friends, and everything you've known, he's gone. Oh. But I'm glad that's not the end of the story. I'm glad it doesn't end this morning when Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus was buried. If that was it, we could close our Bibles, go home, and never come back. Because there ain't no point in none of it. If all Jesus did was live and die, he ain't no different than anybody else. I'm glad that I can report to you but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. 1 Corinthians 15 and 7. Oh, the resurrection of Christ is as essential to salvation as the death of Christ. We know that Christ resurrected uh, by his own power. According to John chapter 10, verse number 18, he had power to lay his life down and he had power to take it up again. You say, hold on, wait a minute. That all sounds far-fetched, but it's not. How do we know that Jesus resurrected? Well, we read the verses in first, the first part of 1 Corinthians 15. He was seen of witnesses after his resurrection. They literally took the two eyeballs in their head and they saw Jesus. He's seen of over 500 people, all of the apostles, and he's seen of Paul. That ain't enough verification for you. The entirety of Scripture declares that Jesus is alive. Let me go a step further. If you're still not convinced, the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of every believer testifies that Jesus is alive this morning. Oh. That's the gospel defined that Christ died for our sins. Let me ask you, has Jesus died for your sins? You say, wait a minute, hold on a second. What are you talking about? It's not enough this morning to say that, to believe that Jesus died for you. He died for the preacher, died for the song leader, died for the Sunday school teacher, and thank God he did. But it's got to be personal. Paul makes it very plain here. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, or excuse me, verse 2, but by which that ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. These people had received it. It literally carries the idea of to take as your own. But then he goes on to say they believed it. They were persuaded. In, a, in, a, in a, uh, another way of speaking, he says, you ain't got no other hope but Jesus. Let me say this to us this morning. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never been born again, 
as the scripture says, then you are lost in your sin. You are hopeless and helpless. That when your life is over, that God will indeed judge you for your sin, and rightfully so. And when God judges you for your sin as the righteous judge of all the earth, He will bind you hand and foot and cast you into the lake of fire forever and ever as the payment for your sin. And rightfully so. It's what you deserve. You deserve the judgment of God. But let me say this to us uh, this morning that God in love and God in mercy uh, commands all men everywhere to repent, to turn from their sin, to turn from their self-righteousness, to turn from whatever they're trusting in and run to Jesus and believe and hope and trust that when He died, He died for you. Oh, you may not be able to Recollect the date on the calendar as some may ask you to. You may not remember every minute detail of uh, what uh, of when you got saved, so to speak. The, uh, the time, date, and the place as some would say. But let me say this to you. If God uh, ever makes the gospel real to you, that you're a lost sinner, that your sin is uh, uh, rebellion against God, that it's egregious before God, that God, uh, that, uh, God will one day judge you, that you you deserve the judgment of God but that Jesus died for you that he loves you gave his life for you and if you come to him in faith that you can have your sin forgiven you can have the wrath of God taken away that you can have a home in heaven that you can have abundant life that you can have hope and peace and joy and all of those things that come along with it that you can have all of it if you come to Jesus you say when when do I come to Jesus now, today, scriptures are very plain. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, when you hear his voice and he says, come, what do you do? You come, you run, you get to Jesus as fast as you can. And I've got good news for you. If you come to him, thank God he won't turn you away. Say, oh, preacher, you don't know who I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how black my heart is. I don't have to know. God knows. And he sent his son into this world to die for you. And thank God there ain't been a sinner and there ain't been a sin that the grace of God can't conquer and can't forgive. Thank God he can take the worst of sinners and he can save them by his grace and make new creatures out of them. I don't know about you. That's real good news. I'm having a real good time telling you that this morning. The gospel defines. Let me give you this and we'll be done. I had three points, but I'm, I just combined one and three together and you didn't even know it. Number two, let me give you this and we'll be done this morning. Not only the gospel defined, but the gospel declared. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. The word declare means to make known. It's literally what the word declare means. It means to make known. He says in verse number 2, By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that what, uh, memory what I preached unto you. The word declare means to make known. The word preach means to announce the good news. I liked one definition. To announce the good news with joy. 
I ain't never met the Apostle Paul. I ain't never met him. But I got a pretty good feeling, pretty good intuition here that when he went to declare the gospel, he wasn't he wasn't just mamby-pamby, soft-spoken about it. And I know everybody's different and everybody talks different. I ain't saying that this morning. But I, I feel pretty confident, oh, that when he declared unto these people that Christ died for their sin, that he was buried and resurrected for them, that he did it with some joy, that he did it with some excitement, that there was some zeal and some vigor uh, down inside of him. These people were familiar with the gospel. He tells them in, earlier in the book that he had determined to know nothing among them save Jesus and him crucified. That's all Paul talked about with these people. You want to cure your division problems? He declared unto them unity in Christ. You want to declare, or you want to fix your uh, issues with the Lord's Supper? He declared unto them, what's this about? The gospel. In this chapter, he's defending the resurrection. You can't have a resurrection without death and a burial. He declared the gospel. We don't have time to develop it all. He says according that Christ died according to the scripture. I'll just go ahead and suffice it to say that all of the Old Testament declares that there was coming a day where the anointed one, the Messiah of God, would come for the specific purpose of dying. But he doesn't, the Old Testament doesn't just tell us of his, of his death, it also tells us of his resurrection. We can look at Abraham and Isaac, the Passover, the Red Sea, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Job 19, Psalm 16, on and on and on. We could go where the word of God from Genesis to Revelation declares this, that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died for us, that he was buried, and that he resurrected. Oh, God has called, Paul the apostles, called preachers and teachers to proclaim and declare the word of God. He told the local church to be busy about the great commission of declaring the gospel, of making disciples, of seeing sinners saved and lives changed by the power of the gospel. Paul tells this very same church in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have the greatest privilege in all of the world. It isn't that you have a nice car and a good career and make lots of money. And if you're able to do all of that, then good for you. The greatest privilege of your life and my life is to declare the gospel. Declare the gospel. You say, well, don't nobody know who I am. They may not. But God's well able to use you and the people that you come in contact with to see people saved. Y'all ain't got a clue who Wayne and Mildred Morgan are. You ain't got a clue, do you? They do help. They pay you their bills. You ain't got a clue who they are. My stepmother's mom and dad, every Saturday night, She'd call my dad when I was a kid and she'd want to pray. I don't, I didn't at that time. Didn't really like that woman praying. Uh, I don't know how else to explain it to you other than to say this. When she prayed, she had an audience with God. 
And she prayed that the gospel would come real to me. She, we had pastors all around the house, and every one of us had to hear her pray. She'd ask how we were doing, yada, yada. And then she'd start praying. And she'd get real personal and real specific. You don't know who they are, but God does. And God used them in my life to see me change. I understand and I believe wholeheartedly that salvation is of the Lord from beginning to end. Amen. But you best believe also that God uses means to accomplish His purposes. He uses individuals. He uses people. Let me give you an example of this. Hannah, I'm almost done. I don't know what time it is. It's 1130, 1130, I don't know. The church of Philippi, the book of Philippians we read, the New Testament, started by the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 16. You know where that church is located? Europe, what we would know as modern day Europe. God starts a church there. That church evangelizes in their area. Other sinners are saved. Churches are started and those churches evangelize. And the gospel begins to spread. And eventually it uh, makes its way on this boat called the Mayflower. Floats across the ocean. And uh, people end up on Plymouth Rock with this same gospel and the same word of God that we've got. Uh, The sinners are saved. Uh, The gospel spreads. People's lives are changed and the church is started all up and down the eastern seaboard. And these people take that same gospel and they start moving west with it. And you'll never guess what happens. God takes his gospel, saves sinners, changes lives, and starts churches. And down through the process of time, uh, you heard the gospel one day. God saved you and changed your life. All because of a group of people in the New Testament that obeyed God and proclaimed the gospel. Ain't that right? We read these very words before us this morning because God is faithful to allow men to hear his gospel. Oh, can I just, can I, can I encourage you in something? You're not going to give the gospel to the wrong person. You ain't going to give the gospel to the wrong person. And it just ain't going to happen. God's the one that saves people, not you, not me. All you got to do is give them the gospel and leave it with God. He's big enough to do with it what he wants to do with it. It's interesting. The ambassador that Paul tells these believers they are in 2 Corinthians, you know what the entire job of an ambassador is? I thought this was pretty neat. To tell what he was told say. He goes as a representative of somebody that's got more authority than him and he is to say exactly what he was told to say. Nothing more and nothing less. You get the idea? Because we're going not in our name but in the name that is above every name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we are commissioned and called and commanded to spread the gospel. The hymn writer said this There is one gospel on which I stand for all eternity. It is my story, my father's plan. The son has rescued me. Paul said the first thing I declare to you is the gospel. Folks, 
most important. You say, preacher, I've been saved for 40 years. Well, I promise you, if God's done something for you 40 years ago, that same gospel that saved you 40 years ago is still the best message you've ever heard in your life. And every time you hear it, there's somebody down inside of you that says, yes, yes, that's right, thank God. Now, you may not vocalize it, but it's going on down inside of you where you can't help but say, that's still the greatest thing ever. Oh, the gospel, it matters to all of us. It's because of the gospel we've got forgiveness of sin. It's because of the gospel we've got freedom from guilt and shame. It's because of the gospel we have joy and peace. It's because of the gospel that we have access to the Father. It's because of the gospel that we have abundant life. It's because of the gospel that we have eternal life. It's because of the gospel this morning that we have grounds to worship our God and our King. no greater news than this Jesus lived he suffered he died for us he was buried and he resurrected the third day Father we thank you Lord for this day your goodness your grace your mercy Lord thank you for the word of God and I pray uh, that you'd use it in every one of our hearts and lives uh, Lord thank you for your gospel Lord thank you for dying on the cross for our sin Lord I pray for those that may be here that uh, are yet lost in their sin. Lord, I pray you'd reveal yourself to them and that you would uh, show them Christ that died in their place. Lord, I pray uh, that you would uh, help your people, Lord, to uh, think upon the gospel, to meditate upon the gospel, Lord. To, I pray you'd make the gospel real to every one of us again today. Lord, I pray you'd accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name.